to the extent that is the American Bar Association Business Law Section's podcast series. Our podcasts provide general information. They aren't a substitute for legal advice from a licensed professional. We offer both standalone and serial podcasts on a variety of topics and welcome your feedback and suggestions at ababusinesslaw.americanbar.org. We hope you enjoy your selection. Greetings, aspiring GCs. Whether you're in law school, private practice, government, or in-house, you're in the right place. My name is David Hamm, and I'm the co-chair of the in-house subcommittee of the ABA Corporate Governance Committee. The purpose of this podcast is to help aspiring GCs find the practical and actionable guidance they've been looking for. To that end, we'll be having conversations with leading GCs for the purpose of exploring the path that led them to the role of GC, essential skills and characteristics for being a successful GC, current GC hot topics, and practical and actionable advice for aspiring GCs. Before we start the conversation, one quick request. We'd love to hear from you. Please send any comments or questions, including any expressions of interest in being part of the ABA Corporate Governance Committee or its small but mighty in-house subcommittee to dph64 at georgetown.edu. That's dph64 at georgetown.edu. Today, I'm very fortunate to be joined by Sterling Miller. Sterling has enjoyed a wide and varied 30-year legal career. He's a three-time general counsel, having served in that role at the Silicon Valley-based Marketo and the Texas-based travel industry giants Sabre Corporation and Travelocity.com. In January 2019, after leading the team that completed the sale of Marketo to Adobe, he returned to the Dallas office of Hilgers Graben as senior counsel focusing on general corporate matters, litigation, data privacy, and special projects for the firm's in-house clients. In January 2021, Sterling was named to the firm's first CEO role in addition to his legal duties. Sterling earned his law degree from Washington University in St. Louis with honors and his bachelor's degree from Nebraska Wesleyan University. He's certified in data privacy by the IAPP. Sterling serves on the board of directors of Terrasol Superfoods and the advisory board of Travify.com. He's a member of the American Bar Association's Task Force for Legal Project Management and a contributor to the book Using Legal Project Management in M&A Transactions, a guidebook for managing deals efficiently and effectively. He's a frequent industry speaker, including numerous keynote speeches, webinars, off-sites, and presenting at South by Southwest. Sterling also writes frequently for legal publications, including topics like artificial intelligence, the use of data analytics, and posting commentary on cutting-edge in-house legal issues on LinkedIn. In 2020, he prepared a teaching module for Baylor Law School on the application of artificial intelligence and the practice of law. He publishes an award-winning legal blog entitled 10 Things You Need to Know as In-House Counsel. He has published five books, the latest of which was Showing the Value of the Legal Department, More Than Just a Call Center, that came out in December 2021. He also consults with legal departments, facilitates off-sites, and coaches in-house lawyers. Sterling, thank you for joining me today. Hey, you're you're welcome, David. Wow, we we can go home now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I, yeah, I, I think I think you know the first thing is if you are in house counsel or thinking about it, 
If you're not reading the 10 things you need to know, you should be. Uh, it's a fantastic resource. And I, I'm supposed to be getting my copy of Showing the Value of the Legal Department uh, anytime now. So looking forward to that as well. Great content you put out there. And, and thanks for all the guidance from oh, an in-house counsel in the trenches. <laughs> <laughs> so so want to talk a little bit about the path or paths, I guess, that led you to, you know, your three GC roles, but starting a bit at the beginning, the typical question of when did you know you wanted to be a lawyer? Oh, man. Um, I knew at a very young age, I think I was probably seven or eight, and we were playing uh, as a family the game of life. We had the little cars. Oh, yeah. Um, Great people, game. The, yeah, I love that game. Spinner, all the, all the cool stuff. And the thing that I wanted the most out of that game, besides winning, because I, I did like to win, I wanted the <laughs> stock certificates. Uh, I thought those were just so cool. And I'd ask my dad, it's like, you know, what is a stock certificate and how do these happen? And he just said, I think there are lawyers involved with that. <laughs> Literally, I said, well, I want to be a lawyer. That and, was it. Uh, that was it. <laughs> and I knew that whatever was behind these stock certificate things, that's something that I wanted to be part of. And uh, I never shook it, um, even though... I made a, a poor decision and took a foray into electrical engineering for about two years of college uh, and then hit differential equations and realized that the law really was calling me. <laughs> the game of a, life. Made a quick pivot, pull. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and changed my major to the ever, uh, I guess, uh, useful political science degree and then, and then went to law school, which is really what I wanted to do in the first place. And, um, it turned out to be uh, an excellent decision. I have enjoyed it immensely for now over 30 years, which I look back and just, I'm just surprised that there's a three that starts that number now. Um, so, uh, but uh, yeah, so that's, that's the lawyer. Uh, that's, that's the, that's the uh, impetus of being a lawyer. Well, the great thing about doing this podcast here in so many stories is there's so many different origin stories. And I have to say, the game of life origin story. That's a first for me. So. <laughs> well, Milton Bradley, thank you. You've, uh, you've exactly. come through once again for America. <laughs> exactly. Delivering every time. Every uh, time. So, so go and kind of fast forwarding from the seven, eight-year-old playing the game of life to law school. How, how would you describe your experience in, in law school? Um, I went from completely lost to mm. completely understanding how the game is played. Um, and by that, I mean, uh, I was first generation college kid. Wow. So my parents had not gone to college and everything I learned, I kind of picked up either because I, I picked it up or I was, there were very generous mentors and people who helped, who helped guide me. But when I got to law school, uh, you know, I, I, I knew about the Socratic method. I kind of knew what was coming, but it's like many things. You never know what it's really like until you're until you're thrown into the deep end right. of the pool. And I would say that first semester, I was kind of flopping around in the deep end a lot. And I did OK I, I, grade wise um, and I, I got it for the most part. But at some point and I don't really know for sure what happened, but starting in the second semester and forward, I just figured out 
what the professors wanted to see on the exams and really how to study in a way that would prepare you for the exams. Right. And once I figured that out, um, the grades went up, which was, which was great. Um, and I also took advantage. I have to say that after second year, a lot of people quit trying because <laughs> they already have their job. And I, I have never been a person to quit until the bell rings or whatever. I'm going to give it a hundred percent. And I found that as I worked harder in my third year there, I was passing people. I probably should never have passed, but you know, they were otherwise set. So, um, I figured, I figured out things. Um, and I really enjoyed law school. I just, I just loved it. I, I thought it was, um, of all my educational experiences, just superior to everything. Enjoyed the people, the professors, the whole learning process that goes into, at least here in the States, the, the U S version uh, of law school. That's great. It sounds like your skill set of breaking down things into a process and learning how to play the game and executing against it has transferred throughout your whole career into your writing and and all that stuff. So handy skill to pick up early along the way. You know, uh, ten is a great number. <laughs> so, so so our checklist yeah. uh, literally um, when I was general counsel and we would have issues that we really didn't know much about. I would uh, either by myself or I'd bring someone on my team in and I would go, okay, what are the ten things we need to know about this? Let's go. Yes. We would whiteboard it. Um, so I'd write on the whiteboard the 10 different things. And that became that that method of breaking things down and trying to distill what you really need to know. That became the impetus for the blog. That, there's nothing complicated about 10 things you need to know. <laughs> no, it's, it's, <laughs> I feel it's, so unoriginal now that I'm saying it out no, loud. No, <laughs> no. Well, it's just so practical and uh, and helpful. So great model. So going from law school to your private practice days, and I know I know yeah. you're back in private practice. So that yeah. arc is, is, I'd love to explore that a little bit. But before sure. the in-house days, well, how would you characterize those years? And when did you think maybe I want to try putting on the jersey, as it were, and going in-house. Right. So I started um, at a law firm in St. Louis, no longer there, like many law firms, they've, right. they've blown up. But uh, I started in the corporate group because, you know, I, I needed to do stock. Because exactly. The game of life was still calling me. <laughs> and uh, I did that for about a year and I, I really enjoyed it. But it was a relatively small firm and uh, they had a real small litigation group. We were primarily corporate, but we did litigation support. And they needed some bodies to help with document review, which in those days, listeners, you went to a warehouse <laughs> and you had- There was paper. Note. There yes, was paper. And you went page by page and you stuck a yellow note on things you wanted copied. Um, oh, and I gosh. signed up for that. And not only did I enjoy it, I just, it was, I know that archaeologist, I guess, was was really fun. I I really enjoyed all the people in the litigation team. I thought they were way more fun than the corporate people. And so I, I switched. I asked, would it be okay if I moved over to litigation? Firm was fine with that. They were they were very supportive, which was great. And I started doing litigation. And as a litigator, I came into a lot of contact with in-house lawyers. Mm -hmm. uh, and the one thing that fascinated me was I would be talking with the in-house lawyer and I go, okay, well, here's what we recommend that you do. And you know, sometimes they would say, yeah, that sounds good. Let's do it. 
a lot of times they would say, okay, I've got to run that back up the flagpole or whatever, whatever colloquialism they were going to use. Yeah. And we'll come back to you. And a couple of days later, they would come back and say, this is what we want to do. Mm-hmm. Okay. We'll go do that. But in the back of my head, I'm going, what happened? Like, <laughs> what was going on in those two days? Was there, I don't know, like a star chamber? Did, did you get grilled? I, I never, I never had the guts just to ask, but I always wondered. Yeah. Um, and uh, it just really, I just thought that would be a really cool job to yeah. be part of a business and focus on one client. And get to be part of this interaction with law firms and with the business. You know, a lot of I, I know that's common for most people that right. that that want to go in house. Um, and then I got to a point in my career. Um, I guess I was six years going on my seventh year, six years out. And at that time, you were that was when you were starting to get close to to be uh, on the partner track. Right. And I had just gotten married. And uh, my wife's from Dallas, which is which is where I'm speaking to you from. And uh, as we talked, I decided, you know what? If I'm going to get off the merry-go-round, now's the time to do it because I'm probably at the prime of my in-house marketability. Um, and we were going to move to Dallas anyway, so let's let's give it a shot. And at that time, there was no internet in the way that we know it today. So right. to to apply for jobs. I got this insert that my father-in-law sent me from the Dallas Morning News called the top 500 companies in Dallas, Fort Worth. And I wrote letters to all 500 companies cold with a resume and no LinkedIn, easy apply, no LinkedIn, no easy apply. (laughs) And of course, you know, I got hundreds of rejections. Thank you. Which is awesome for your ego. Most people ghosted. Do you keep them in a folder? I I did for a little while, but eventually it's like, you know, I I get it. And that's not worth doing. Um, But I had two callbacks. Um, And one was, I can't remember uh, the name of the company. I think it was called Interco or Interfirm. Uh, And they were involved in freight cargo, which was okay. kind of cool. But the other one was American Airlines. Oh, nice. um, and I ended up uh, getting a job in-house at American, which, man, the legal department at American Airlines is A++ quality and talent. And uh, that was just tremendous. And they owned Sabre, was a technology division for American. Oh, interesting. Uh, and they spun them out. And I had the, cho- the choice of staying with American or going with Sabre. And I thought, Technology sounds kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and in my usual form, I somehow lucked into the right decision <laughs> and off I went to, to go work at Saber. Now, how big was the legal department at American Airlines back when you joined? We were almost 70, 70, okay. 70 lawyers, maybe Pretty a little big. bit bigger than that. Yeah, it was okay. really big. Yeah. And uh, uh, I, don't, I don't think it's quite that big anymore. Like most legal departments right. kind of get cut Trend down, up. but but it was... It was big, and I was in the litigation and regulatory group, and I know, knowing nothing about regulatory, so of course I'm, I'm placed in the, exactly the right position. <laughs> um, so, uh, so there you go. I I, I learned it like uh, like everybody That's ultimately right. does. You just learn it, you figure right. it out. Right. And so, how big was the group at on the spinoff to Saber? There were seven of us seven. To start. Okay. Okay. Um, at our peak, we were 45. Oh wow. Okay. Um, and then we sold off part of the business. You know, so all the stuff, you know, and adjust it. When I, when I was running the legal department at Sabre, we were in the low thirties. So it was, that was pretty good size. Yeah. Uh, that's a really yeah. good size. And it was international, so, which I really enjoyed. I loved having 
those people from around the globe. Sun never set. Yeah, on the uh, exactly. on Saber Empire. <laughs> yeah. EMEA, then APAC, then APAC. Yeah, yep. yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Got it. Of course, so, you wake up in the morning and you've got, you know, nine, nine thousand emails. Exactly. From... <laughs> exactly. God, clean last night when I went to bed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The treadmill. Um, <laughs> right. Here they are. So you went to Saber. There's seven of you. Did you start as the GC or what, what did that journey look like? No. Um, so I started as uh, the co-head of litigation and regulatory. There's an okay. origin, origin, yes. originality at its finest. We, <laughs> we kind of mimicked to the extent you could with seven people, the structure that we came out of from American Airlines. Um, and so I focused on litigation, uh, obviously the regulatory stuff. But my philosophy was, and eventually the, the person who was co chair, he went over to Travelocity to be the general counsel. We owned Travelocity was a subsidiary of of a saber at the okay. time. And um, when I was solely in charge, then I decided that anything anyone didn't want, we would take. We were going to be the garbage men of the legal department. Nice. Put it outside, we're going to pick it up. So we ended up with immigration, sweepstakes, bankruptcy. Um, we had a whole bunch of contracts that we would do because they were part of a regulated part of the business. So we would do the contracts in addition to the regulatory issues. We had antitrust, both compliance and, and, and guidance. Anything anyone didn't want, I told my team, we're going to take. And it's the reason move. for that is you learn so much, which is great. Um, and it also gives you more opportunities to move around in the legal department or within the company. Because right. you're going to be way more valuable than if you only have one one kind of primary skill set. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And in that journey, when did you feel like or think, you know, maybe I'd like to be the GC of this company? <laughs> way before my time. Um, <laughs> so because that's that's how I am. Yeah. The general counsel, when my co manager of the litigation team went over to Travelocity. So did the general counsel who okay. left to go become general counsel of Travelocity. He thought that was that was going to be a more interesting uh, job. And uh, it may or may not have been. I, I'm not sure. But um, I threw my hat in the ring to be general counsel for uh, the parent company, Sabre. Yeah. And I knew I wasn't going to get it, but I wanted people to know that I was interested in it. And even though I didn't get it, they kind of marked me as someone, you know, down the road. This is probably someone you want to put in your succession planning. So I, um, I think it's really important if you're, if you are an in-house lawyer and you are interested in being general counsel, don't just sit around and hope someone recognizes you. Right. Uh, oh wow, this person's awesome. They may, but you really got to be proactive about your career, in my right. opinion, and let people know, hey, I'm interested in doing this. I'm interested in doing more. I'm interested in learning about the administrative side. So when the new general counsel came on, I said, if there's any administrative things that you don't want to work on, I'll take them. So I was in charge of budget. Um, I can't remember. Oh, I was in charge of the strategic plans for the legal department. Yeah. And he loved it because he didn't have to do it. Right. Uh, I loved it because I knew this was setting me up for down the road. Right. Um, and uh, it was more work, of course, but uh, I, I did enjoy it. And I got I got a lot out of it. So I, I raised my hand early and often. Um and uh, eventually, eventually it paid off. And, and what was it like when you finally got the role and, and the payoff came? Was it uh, what you expected or a little scary or a mixture of, of both? Well, it was interesting. Um, the the 
my uh, my co-manager who went over to Travelocity, he eventually became the general counsel there as the general counsel who was the general counsel at Sabre had gone into private practice. They moved uh, back to the East Coast. He left for Expedia, right, a competitor of Travelocity. And then they needed a general counsel for Travelocity. So they asked me, would I take the job? And I said, oh, yeah, sure, absolutely. I get to run the department. I kind of know everything I need to know already because it's travel related. Uh, and I go over and I realize I know nothing. <laughs> and it is incredibly humbling to be sitting in a meeting with the with the the C-suite of the Travelocity team and, and then you know the people who are reporting in. And it's like they're talking code. Uh, all these acronyms, all of these numbers, all these things. I had no idea what they were talking about. And I realized I could probably ask a question or two during the meeting and not be annoying and not come across as a wow. Did we just hire the wrong person? So I kept a notebook and I wrote down, I need to know about this and who was talking about it at the meeting. And then I would go see them. Interesting. And I would just go, hey, do you got 10 minutes, 15 minutes, or maybe I'd go to lunch or whatever. But hey, it was great just to meet people. That's always, yeah. that's an undervalued skill in my opinion or, or a tactic. Uh, and then I would go, can you explain this to me? What are we talking about here? And why is this good? Or why is this bad? And inevitably, you know, people have always been, I, I just, I don't, I don't, I've just found it to be incredible how generous people are with their time. If you just ask them and you make it convenient for them to help you, I have yet to find anyone in the long time that I've been doing this who said, nah, I have no interest in talking to you. I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to share any of this or explain it to you, you know, just go, you're off on your own. Uh, and uh, people would help me. And over time, um, you know, I, I think if you move into a new role, it's always a little scary because you're going to be outside your comfort zone. But I think that's really important and really yeah. critical. If you want to advance, you're just going to have to suck it up and realize you're not going to know everything, but have enough confidence in yourself that you can figure it out or learn it over some period, reasonable period of time. And it's going to take a year before you learn it all anyway. So um, as I moved along from when I moved back over to Sabre after four or five years at Travelocity, when I went to Marketo, I just gave myself a runway going, I'm going to have to learn this. Don't get frustrated. Don't pretend you know more than you know and ask people to help you. And they will. Um, if you're if you're humble and you're honest and you let them know what you need, they, they inevitably will will go. Yep, absolutely. Let's find some time. Let's get together. Let's 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 see if we can help you. That's incredibly good advice and, and transitions a bit into the next part of the discussion, which is talking about essential skills and characteristics for being a successful GC. We covered a little bit of those, but what would you say as you look back on your three GC roles were skills and characteristics that served you well uh, as you performed as the a GC? big, yeah, the, uh, the biggest skill uh, I think is I have an ability to make complex concepts simple. Yeah. Because you have to realize most business people don't give a crap about legal other than they know they have to deal with it. Right. And if you walk in and you're talking legalese, yeah. like we're taught at big law, you're writing to the court or whatever the case may be, they will tune you out very quickly. Yeah. Uh, and so understanding that 
I've got to, I've got to talk to these people the way they want to be talked to. We'll talk about that in a second. And yeah. I have to make it understandable because mm. they don't really care, but I want them to care. So I'm going to sell this to them. Mm. That changes how you write, how so you cool. present and how you, how you bring issues uh, to the business. And when I talk about presenting in a way that, that they want to be presented to it's numbers, it's mm. charts, it's graphs, it's PowerPoint. It's not 20 page memos. Yeah. Um, if, if I'm going to write them something, the very first thing I'm going to give them at the top is the answer. Cause that's what they really care about. <laughs> they don't want any footnotes. They don't care about blue book. You know, they just want to know the freaking answer. So right. give it to them. Right. right? Uh, so you do that. If, um, and you know, one of the things I learned really early, David is I could sit in a room and I could talk about, well, you know, I think we have about a 40% chance of, of winning this pretty good odds or 50, 50, you know, talking to what you think is going to happen and why you think it's going to happen. And for the most part, they'll listen to you and they'll go fine. If you put that in the decision tree, they go nuts. It's like catnip for cats. <laughs> they, now their eyes light up because they understand what you're doing, right? Mm. It's a decision tree. They're used to that. They're used to seeing spreadsheets and, and pie charts. And if you talk to them in their language, man, it makes such a difference. Even if you're saying exactly the same thing, you just, Interesting. You just, you just put it in a way um, that, they, that they can understand it. So keeping things simple, talking to them um, in the way that they want to talk. And then the third thing, and I'll, I'll, never, I'll never forget this lesson. Um, when I was at American, um, I, uh, I was a backbencher in this meeting that they used to have among the senior executives of American um, and all the different groups, marketing, sales, legal, whatever, would, would have a, 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 a role in talking. And if you were supporting the general counsel, for whatever reason, you would sit along the back. So I was, I was definitely a backbencher. <laughs> I remember someone, I can't remember if it was marketing or sales, was going on about, well, legal said we can't do this. And legal said we can't do that. And legal said, and, and the CEO at the time, not going to use any names, stopped them and said, legal doesn't run the beep, beep business. <laughs> we do. I don't care what legal says. What do you want to do? And at first I'm thinking, wow, oh my God, how could you possibly not do exactly what legal said? And then kind of start sinking in. He's absolutely right. Right. We don't run the business. We give advice. We give options. You try to be fact giver. You try to lay out good to bad. And then you give an opinion. This is what I think we should do and why. Right. And if the business doesn't want to do it, they want to do something different. They want to take more risk. Fine. You know, my job then is to, well, how can I make this become the best possible version of what it is that the business wants to do? And unless it's criminal or someone could die or something really horrible, you know, it's not my job to say absolutely no freaking way. Right. Um, I do need to make sure the right person is making the decision, right? right. You don't want the first line manager going, yeah, a billion dollars <laughs> of risk, let's do it. Um, so is the board signed off on this? Is the CEO? But at the end of the day, you know, this isn't legal's business to run. We're there as a service. We're there as guides, as, as Sherpas, so to speak. And we yeah. need to get them to the best place. And so those three things, um, if you if you embrace those, I think you have uh, substantially increased your chance to be successful, not only as an in-house lawyer, but certainly as, as a general counsel. 
Well, I was looking for 10 things, but I guess three things will do, Sterling. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got, I've got, I've got seven. Oh, more I know. Now. I know you do. I know you do. Um, <laughs> this is back to have some other questions. <laughs> exactly. We'll, we'll pepper or them in later. Or this will be two hours. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that's what. right. Um, we want to talk a little bit about growth. And you've talked about that, you know, giving yourself a runway as you went in and, and learning and growing. But what are some skills and characteristics that you feel as you look back at your three roles you grew into and how did you identify the need for that growth? Um, well, people managing is mm. the hardest uh, because they don't teach you that um, yeah. in law school. And they usually shortchange the legal department on that uh, when they're doing manager training. They kind right. of forget about the managers and legal like they do in, in, in several uh, of the staff groups. And so I had to learn you know, how do you, how do you manage people who don't do things the way that you do them? Maybe don't have the same, well, work ethic isn't the right issue or the right phrase, but they just do things differently. Right. Right. And how do you motivate people? And how do you, how do you talk to them when, when they don't do something the right way without making them feel like they can never make a mistake because they're scared to come and and talk to you about it. And, and, um, I've, again, have been fortunate in the people that I've worked for uh, in terms of learning those lessons, but applying them for yourself is scary. So figuring out how do you, how do you manage people? How do you get the best out of them? Mm. How do you delegate properly? And delegation is not here. You do it. There's a lot more that goes into delegation if you're going to do it right, because it's all about teaching that person the skill. So you don't have to do it anymore. And they're getting an opportunity to learn and do it. So that, that whole managing thing uh, was, would be number one. Secondly, I had to get good at math. I had to get good at (laughs) numbers, uh, which is another thing they don't teach you in law school. At least I don't think so. Not well, not well. Not well. Like how do you read a, you know, P and L and a, and a a cash flow statement and a balance sheet. I mean, those, those matter. They don't matter to law firm unless you're managing partner probably, but man, when you're in house numbers drive everything and you really need, you really need to learn that. So figuring out, you know, things like that. And then, um, you know, you may think, oh God, you know, learning how to read a balance sheet, that sounds really hard. I just went to YouTube. <laughs> I yeah. just watched it. <laughs> it was right there from a professor from, I don't know, it was Harvard or Yale or something. Yeah. And here's a course on how to read financial statements. Like, yep. okay. And, and it was free. Or the, the other thing we tend to forget about, and I use this a lot when, especially if we would get into new areas of the law, like bankruptcy or immigration, I would buy those West nutshell books right remember those oh yeah those are uh, excellent. and uh there's 150 pages but it's yeah. man it is it is black letter what you need to know and yeah. you can really get up to speed quickly yeah that's uh, excellent. Buy something you know cost you 20 bucks maybe it's more now but back then yeah you can get them used um even but, better that's why yeah, amazon yeah. did not exist at the time <laughs> <laughs> no linkedin no amazon no LinkedIn, you're not nothing, dating no. yourself at all sterling i promise um but <laughs> Looking forward a little bit, uh, interested in your thoughts here because of all the work you do with um, in the project management space, AI, where do you think a successful GC needs to grow thinking forward in the next 5, 10, 15 years to be effective? Yeah. Uh, I, I think, first off, uh, you have to be 
very comfortable with technology. Mm. Uh, a lot of lawyers generally aren't, and they like to have it spoon fed to them. Right. They just, they do get frustrated, right? And they go, just show me how to do it. Right. That's okay. I mean, you can, you can, you can get by with that, but it's way more interesting and way better if you actually go and fail for yourself, mm. uh, which is how I learn stuff on technology. I, I write every, every year I have a cool tech blog um, that I do in the 10 things series. And I just love to go and play with things and see what is, how does this work? Is this, is this something that can help me? And then making really quick decisions. Yeah, this is really useful or nah, this is just, this is going to be a waste of time and then, and then move on. But, but just being comfortable with technology because that's what the business does. If you, right. if you just look around at how the business is getting more efficient, how the business squeezes more out of its budget, out of its people, it's all around technology. And for so long, the legal department it was kind of immune to that. They, no one expected legal to be using cutting edge technology to drive efficiency, to drive new ways of doing things. Um, so I think getting comfortable with technology and then using it in the right way so artificial intelligence, there's a lot of buzz around it. There's a lot of cool stuff um, coming, but uh, several years, when I was at Marketo, here's what I wanted to do. I wanna go out and find software that will take a customer paper contract, right? Someone who sent us the contracts, not right. ours, and redline it for us based on our playbook. Let's go find that. Or we'll look at red lines that customers make to our contracts and tell us, are these acceptable or not based on our playbook? If I can find that, I have solved one of the most crucial pain points, not only for the legal department, but for the sales team, right? The time it takes to go right. through all that. And then I can allow my team or myself to focus on the things that are left, which are the really crucial issues. We couldn't find it at the time, but I believe it's going to be here soon if it's not here already. I, I've seen people start to talk about their, their systems being able to do it. When you can get something like that and then adopt it, now you think about of all the resources you have, I don't have to get more people because now I can buy this piece of technology. Maybe that costs half of what, a, a, maybe not, maybe not in half, a third of what a lawyer would cost. Right. And it can do all of these things. And it's not about replacing people. It's about making their jobs easier and faster and better. And that's what I think is the real allure of artificial intelligence for me and, and the law, uh, because it's going to allow you to focus on things that lawyers really do well. Um, you know, I want to, I, I want, I don't want to be the person gathering the information per se, but I want to be the person going through it and then looking yeah. at the results. And that's a different. Yeah. That's a different use than you see a lot of other people talking about artificial intelligence. So getting used to that, getting used to technology, figuring out ways that you can adapt it to make your legal team's life better and easier. And then the last one on, on I'm going to stick with technology, but this generally, I think lawyers need to get more comfortable with adding value through disengagement. Mm. And what I mean by that is for too long, and myself included, you feel like you've got to be involved in everything. You got to know everything. Mm -hmm. You got to see everything. And that's okay. Other than it slows things down. And it also means that lawyers bring their 
sometimes hyper conservative risk view to things that don't necessarily need that level of analysis, but just right. because it's our DNA. Right. And if you find ways for the business to help themselves through checklists yeah. or CLM tools that can build their own contracts for them, they just color within the lines and you right. don't, you never have to see it. That's, that's a, a win. win for the business yeah. and that's a win for the legal department. So Absolutely. those, those types of things, you, I think if you're, if you're looking ahead, that's what I would be focused on. No, that's excellent. And if you find that solution that grades to the playbook, please let me know. I'm gonna believe me. I'm gonna be touting it. So yeah. I, I, I saw one. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask them for a demo. Um, nice. And, and I'll see how it works. And that would be make, amazing. Cool tech. Yeah, I know it's Nirvana. If you can yeah, find it. really would be. That's that's yeah. fantastic. No, that's really helpful. And now now shifting down to actionable advice for folks who are aspiring GCs. Um, thinking through the different stages of a legal career, what would you say to law students who are just starting? Maybe they picked this podcast up because they didn't want to study or whatever. And they're thinking, <laughs> all you know, free time they yeah, have. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they, you know, they don't know how much free time they have, but um, how would, how could they leverage their law school experience to make progress towards the goal of one day becoming a GC? You know, one of the things that I've, I've noticed because I've been contacted by um, professors and usually they're adjunct professors, but there are starting to be more courses, at least at the senior levels on being an in-house lawyer. Interesting. And uh, I know my, well, some of my books have actually made it uh, into the course curriculum, which nice. is awesome. Congrats. Thank you. That is awesome. Thank you. Got kids in school. So that's much <laughs> appreciated. Uh, <laughs> so subliminally buy the books. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so I think, if 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 you have any interest in being an in-house lawyer, or maybe even if you go, you know what, I think I don't really think that's what I want to do, but if you can at least get some understanding of what an in-house lawyer job mm. is like, I think that makes you a better outside counsel. Absolutely. Because you you know more about what to listen for. You're going to be probably a little more empathetic, um, maybe than if you had just had no idea what goes on behind the scenes. So just just that general, hey, I'm going to learn something. Uh, curiosity is, is valuable, but I think taking advantages, taking advantage of those courses. Um, I, 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 but you know, the one thing uh, I learned, and I learned this too late, when, when I got to law school, and you ask people, you know, so what was your major in college? And you know, someone was in art or physical education, and you go, damn it, I didn't have to do political science. I could have <laughs> done anything. Um, so realizing that your career in house doesn't really depend on what you study in law school. Right. I mean, I think there are some things that can make it yeah, maybe a little more easier than a little easier than it would be if if they have those specific courses. What I have found the most valuable and I think this is 98% true. There are very few in-house legal departments that hire lawyers right out of law school. There right. are some. Most of them are just not big enough or sophisticated enough to train you. It's right. not that they don't want you. They don't think you're good. It's like, I, I, I don't have the ability to give you the skills that you need. Right. And I would plan on, even if um, it may not be your first choice, I do want to go in-house someday, go get your training at the law firm. Right. Um, in whatever area you, you're most interested in. Do what you, do what you really want to do. Um, if you want to do litigation, awesome. If you want to do employment law, great. Patents, you know, whatever. And then start your search for, you know, is there a company, is there an in-house position for me 
um, that wants to take advantage uh, of these skills. When you have three or four years of experience to offer, you become incredibly valuable as a, as a target for an in-house legal department. And the biggest change I've seen, David, you've probably seen the same thing is, you know, five years ago, you needed to be in the city where you needed to work. Right. Um, now, if you're willing maybe to fly once a month, spend a few days at the office, yeah. you can work wherever, Pittsburgh, you know, Tampa, doesn't matter. Right. That is a huge change because it does two, two really great things. It opens up talent yeah, to legal departments. Absolutely. They don't have to spend, you know, can I get this person here? Do I have people here where I'm based? And it gives opportunities to people who would never have had an opportunity to apply for that position because they were just weren't going to move or couldn't move for whatever reason. Um, so, uh, but the key is get the experience, yep. then go market yourself. Uh, if that's what, if that's what you're interested in doing. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. What would you have said to the sixth, seventh year attorney Sterling, um, knowing what you know now about your decision back then to jump in house? Oh man, uh, you're making the right decision. <laughs> so future, future me traveling back would be like having a big thumbs up, like do this. Yeah, do it. Go ahead. Go sign, go sign up for that. Um, I, you know, I think, um, the one, the one piece of advice would be when you come from a law firm, you're a little spoiled. Um, because their job is basically chain you to the desk and spoon feed you. So you never leave. <laughs> so you, can just bill, you can just bill hours. I mean, you're that making is the, the money. Yeah, you're exactly. making the money. Don't fool yourself. That's, right. that's the job. If they could, you know, if they could stick you on a porta potty, they'd do it if they could. So they don't want you to leave. Um, and they'll do, they'll make the offices super elaborate. They'll make food and snacks, all that stuff available to you. That's all great. Tons of support staff. Um, you're not going to have that if you go in house yeah. and you have to, you have to accept that, right? You're going to yeah. be much more self-sufficient. Nothing's the legal department's not the focus. The legal department is just the service that's there, but the focus of the business is, is whatever the business is and you're not the center of attention and don't, don't plan on being that. And, you know, don't take it personally if the business doesn't want to listen to you. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's not personal <laughs> and don't get your, don't get your backup. If people push you on what you're telling them mm. uh, at first, you know, it's like, I'm thinking in the back of my head, are you questioning me? I have <laughs> multiple degrees and I'm a know, lawyer. I, I was order of the coif, whatever. <laughs> I wrote a law <laughs> And then you realize if, if you, if you really just step back and take a deep breath, they're asking you the right questions. Yeah. They're, they're poking at the advice. They're trying to make sure, have you thought of everything, Sterling? Because, you know, you need to be sure that, you know, you understand the business and what you're, and what you're saying. So not being so hard on myself and on clients coming out of the, coming out of the gate would be probably the one thing I would change. I figured it out. Um, but at first, you know, I was probably like most in-house lawyers going in-house for the first time. You're kidding me. You're not going to do exactly what I said and <laughs> fall in the line. But yeah, no, they're not. Put it that way. <laughs> no, that that's really helpful. What would you say to more junior in-house attorneys who have GC aspirations on the best way to position themselves? I know you touched on that a little bit up top, but interested in your thoughts. Yeah. Well, um, you know, volunteer. Yeah. Um, there are and there are a couple ways to do that. First, 
uh, in the legal department, you know, are there things going on in the legal department that needs someone to own them? Um, mm-hmm. One of the things that I stepped up and said, I'll own that early was the, the internet site. Those were, I mean, those were brand new, right? They weren't, <laughs> they weren't like they are now. We were, we were creating it from the ground up and I said, I'll do that. Um, I highly recommend if you find something that you can own, that you can be the person who's in charge of, it gives you an opportunity to shine. Mm gives you an opportunity to hone skills. Like maybe you're not a full-time manager, but you may have to manage some people who are building or creating or doing whatever it is. And it gets you in front of, and in the eye of the general counsel or the senior leadership of the legal department is someone who steps up, gets things done, wants to be involved. Uh, That's someone that they want to promote, right? Because you already are demonstrating the skills that you're going to need to be at the top. You don't have to stop in the legal department. Most companies that I've been involved in have all kinds of things going on and they're looking for people to help. It could be anything from the yearly charity fundraiser, carnival, whatever they might have. It could be um, a diversity initiative. It could be a mentoring program. Uh, It could be just a strategic planning exercise and they need someone from the legal department to sit in. I learned, I did one of those early in my career. I learned so much because I was day to day working with this, the strategic thinkers of the company and what where the company was going and what they wanted to do, how they wanted to get there. So not only was I there for the legal stuff, but I was learning about the business and I was being able to, and I was asked to contribute my thoughts on things that weren't legal issues. So if you could find those opportunities to raise your hand, to volunteer, to step up, you're gonna um, not only uh, just enhance your own skill set. You're going to start to get in front of and get um, catch the eye of important people who will decide your fate ultimately within the company. Not only in the legal department, but the companies that I've been involved in. When they're talking about big promotions, those aren't necessarily just left to the general counsel to decide. Right, right. A lot of those are decided at a at a C-suite level conference, and they're looking at vice presidents and senior vice presidents. Right. And if your name comes up and, and no one in that room knows who you are. Not good. Not good. Your odds of, your odds of getting that promotion are low. But if, right. if someone says, you know what? I worked with her and she was incredibly valuable on this project that we had. That is gold. That yeah. uh, is absolute gold. Uh, so finding those opportunities, that is probably the best thing I would tell you to do as a, as a young uh, in-house lawyer with that with aspirations for the for the big chair. That's incredibly helpful. Um, one last question. Interested on your thoughts based on you having three GC roles. Let's say your our hypothetical in-house lawyer has done everything you just said to do, and um, and now they've put their name in for a GC role or two, and they have a couple interviews. What would you say to a GC candidate who's interviewing for the role? and assessing whether it's a good fit for them. Whether, so whether or not the role they're applying for is a good fit. Yeah, whether they should take, let's yep. assume they've taken, uh, they have an offer and they're thinking, hmm, should I take this or not? Yeah, well, um, so so first I would say, what what is causing you to leave where you are? Hmm. Uh, I'm assuming this offer is outside, yeah, the, outside. their current employer, right? Yep. So someone is offering. and. Yep. Um, is it because you're you're unhappy with where you are? You don't think there's a path forward? So make sure that the reason you're leaving your current position is is 
rings true, right? It really mm -hmm. is. It, it's really either it's a great opportunity. It's what you've always wanted to do, and you can't you can't get it there because um, sometimes you know that grass is always greener. Uh, right. Proverb is true. Until uh, you, you get may, there, yeah, that's right. You get there, and you go, oh, my, like on. Uh, uh, you know, I made I made a huge mistake. <laughs> I got arrested <laughs> development. <laughs> I made a terrible mistake, uh, and that can that can happen. So make sure the reasons that you're looking that you want to leave are 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 really good reasons. And then, you know, when you're when you're talking with the new employer, you know what what is the role that they see you serving are you truly going to be part of the executive team mm. and a decision maker and a counselor or are they really looking for someone you know we really want you just to drive contracts for sales right. they may call you head of legal they may right. even call you general counsel but those are very different jobs mm, <laughs> and good. you need to understand yeah. what am i yeah what do you really want me here to do and what am i going to be here for and then the third thing that i would want to know mm. is okay, what resources am I going to have to yeah. do this job? Because right. if you're a solo general counsel, yeah. um, I mean, that is a, that is one of the hardest jobs in the world. It's yeah. probably one of the most satisfying, but it's also one of the most difficult. What kind of budget am I going to have? Right. Am I going to be able to get something like practical law, which I think right. is, you know, the best oh. resource available, but Open it's all day long. <laughs> yeah. And it's, but it's, you know, it's not cheap. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. am I going to be able, I, you need to lock all of that down before yeah. you walk in and then yeah. your compensation. Um, right. if you really think this is the right job, this is your chance to negotiate for what you want, but get everything in writing. Yeah. Because if it's not in writing, and you know this as a yeah. lawyer, right. it doesn't exist. And right. lawyers are terrible about taking care of themselves right. when it comes to this stuff. And I've talked right. to a lot of people who goes, yeah, they told me this. They told me that. And when the time came, they said, yeah, I don't think that's quite how we we talked about it. Right. And none of it was in writing. So it's yeah. a real it's a real disappointment. So you want to yeah. get all that, all that locked down before you, before you say yes. Yeah, no, incredibly helpful. All right. Any last word for our aspiring GCs out there, Sterling? <laughs> you know, the job being an in-house lawyer, I, I think is a is a is a great job. I've loved it. Um, don't overcomplicate it. Um, it really comes down to two things. Uh, are we creating value? Are we maximizing value creation? And are we minimizing value destruction? And if those are your main goals every day and you're looking at what you're doing, how does it fit? It's going to make you, it's going to make it easier for you to prioritize what you're working on. And it's certainly going to help you contribute to the value uh, of the department, the value that you bring uh, and you know, the value to the company overall, because you're focused on the right things and don't spend your time fiddling with things that are interesting to lawyers find out what's important to the business and focus mm. on that. That that's where the value is, not, you know, because you some esoteric legal question that you think is interesting. Um it may be, but it's not that valuable. Mm, that's really good. Well, this brings us to the end of the conversation. Thank you Sterling so much for your time and providing aspiring GCs with practical and actionable guidance as they pursue the path of becoming a GC. And thank you aspiring GCs for joining us. Again, we'd love to hear from you. Please send any comments or questions, including any expressions of interest in being part of the ABA Corporate Governance Committee or it's small but mighty in-house subcommittee to dph64 at georgetown.edu. That's dph64 at georgetown.edu.
Thank you for listening to the ABA Business Law Section's podcast series, To the Extent That. The section offers a robust collection of content. To explore more about this topic, or to learn about joining the section, visit ambar.org slash bizlaw. That's B-I-Z-L-A-W.